Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Did you know that all believers are called into ministry? I'm timing myself because I have three hours of notes tonight. We're not going to do them all, but I'm just deciding, all right, when, when is it quitting time? Uh, a lot of believers don't understand that all of life is ministry. And because we think that there's life and then there's ministry, and these are two separate things, because we think that way, a lot of us will neglect getting equipped because they think, well, I'm not in ministry. I'm not on a stage. I'm not holding a microphone. What do I need to get equipped for? And I just want to tell you that nobody who's ever been born is a mistake. Nobody who's alive right now, what, 8 billion, 10 billion people on the planet? No one who's ever been born out of the billions of people. And scripture tells us that there's actually a unique value to people, um, more than the birds in the air, more than the animals, more than the fish in the sea. And that means that you actually have value. Okay, turn to your neighbor and tell them how valuable they are. They're so valuable. And if you're valuable, that means that you actually have a valuable assignment that's unique to you, that no one else gets to do. And God had something in mind that, was, that had to be done by you. It's necessary that you're the one who does his assignment for your life. There's, I can't do Nate's assignment for him. He can't do mine. I can't do James's assignment for him. He can't do mine. Everyone has a calling, not just pastors. Everyone's in the ministry, not just ministry leaders. And there's an identity crisis within the church is that we, we believe that if we don't have a ministry title, then we're disqualified from doing ministry. But again, his qualification always overrides our disqualification. Would you agree? His, his call on our lives always overrides our failures. His grace always overrides our sin. And his calling his his call on our lives actually requires an equipping and a specific anointing to walk it out so today i want to talk to you guys about something i've been sitting on for probably 15 years that i've known in my spirit but i've never actually put words to i've never had much um, revelation with the verbiage but i've been so overwhelmed by these things the past call it two or three months and i, I just this week felt like the lord said here's the words you've been looking for so Bear with me, I've got 15 years ready to explode. Um, I think that this is going to actually turn into a, a series that I'll be hitting over the next few months with you guys. And if you're a student in Kingdom Living, guess what? Um, but we're gonna talk more and more about anointing. I, I cannot get past this idea of anointing. Um, we talk a lot about glory. We talk a lot about encounter. We talk about authority. And the Lord has just been hanging me up on anointing. And I want to tell you guys a story. Um, we were doing a big worship conference some years ago. And on the last night of this school that we were doing, um, you know, it was like I was so excited. We had guests come into this thing. We had people from all over the island who were helping out with it. But on the final night was going to be our home team, our, our people leading worship. And I was so excited about it. And we had one person who wasn't necessarily part of our home team. And when the night started, it was so beautiful because the Lord actually interrupted our agenda. And he just told everybody, he didn't, no one heard this through the loudspeaker, but everyone on the stage just felt like we're not supposed to play music. We're just supposed to worship him and not make a sound. And it was so beautiful. The whole room just caught on to this quickly. We just waited upon the Lord and started ministering to him in our hearts. And uh, people were initially very, very quiet, just this overwhelming sense of awe and holiness that invaded the room. And then what happened is people started to lift their voices and singing out their own song to the king. It was these spiritual songs and melodies unto the Lord from our hearts. No one was leading the room. The Holy Spirit was leading the room. There's a big difference between a worship leader leading the room and the Holy Spirit leading the room, right? 
And it was just this amazing, beautiful moment. And I thought we were just entering in to this moment of encounter with the Lord. And all of a sudden, the person who was on the team, who wasn't part of our home team that night, um, he interrupted what the Lord was doing. And he started playing his guitar and he started singing. Now, how many of you know that playing your guitar and singing is usually okay during a worship set, right? Especially if you're one of the worship leaders. But the consensus, at least um, what we found out afterwards, was that everyone felt like we weren't supposed to move into musical worship. We were just supposed to worship him in our, our own songs, not necessarily songs on an overhead screen. And when, when this worship leader started playing, it was so jolting and interrupting to me that I started to question what was happening in the room, and I started just feeling off. I felt off, and I started asking the Lord, what's going on with me? Is this me? Is this, am I in a bad mood? I was scheduled to speak that night, and, you know, it's one of those things where Psalm 22.3 says that the Lord is enthroned upon his praises, so to me, worship is the most important thing we do. When, when we create a throne for him, he actually comes and abides on that throne, and I want to give him a big throne, and when this interruption happened, I was actually upset with myself and thinking, man, what is going on? Um, I am probably the one who's off in this situation. Maybe no one else is feeling it because when this guy went into his worship, people started singing along and honestly, I just felt it must have been a Sam issue. And so I walked to the back, I was pacing around, and I just kept asking the Lord, why am I so off right now? Why is this not in agreement with my spirit? And I would try to go back to my seat and sing, and I, I could sing, but I couldn't engage my heart. And so I went out into the hallway, and I just got real, real with the Lord. How many of you guys ever got real, real with the Lord? Yeah. And I just said, God, either this is you or this is me. W which one is it? Are, are you not on this, or am I just off tonight? Am I, you know, moving in the flesh? And I didn't hear anything, so I said, all right, I'm coming back in. I'm going to try to engage. Come back in feels dead, feels lifeless, feels empty, and I'm so disappointed because this is the final night. Go back in the hallway, try to hash it out with the Lord, hear nothing, come back in. I did this three times. And on the fourth time, the worship set was almost over, and I'm standing out in the hallway, and I just said to the Lord, I'm starting to panic because I'm going on stage to speak, and I don't want to minister without this this throne in the room. Um, when, when you have worshipers who actually worship in spirit and truth, who actually create a throne, it's the easiest thing in the world to talk to those people because they've already welcomed him in. They've welcomed him in the king of glory. And we let him take over the room and we let him speak through us and move through us. But when that doesn't happen, man, you could have the best prepared message in the world. But if you're not flowing in the anointing, it's like talking to a brick wall. And so I'm in the hallway, a little bit panicking. What am I going to do? How is this going to work out? This is going to be a disaster. Should we all just go home now? And the Lord said, hey, you don't need to operate from under that worship leader's anointing. You can operate from your own anointing. And that was such a revelatory thought to me. And that sounds great, but then you're like, wait a minute, how do I do that? And so the Lord said, all you need to do is pull on your anointing. Pull on your anointing. Pull on your anointing. And what I realized was that God wasn't leaving or forsaking us. Uh, what was happening is that somebody who was on stage simply decided to try to move the room under their own power, and that doesn't work. And what the Lord started saying is, hey, we have many, many years of history together, Sam. Why are you thinking that I'm just going to bail and leave because someone didn't follow the cloud, because someone else decided to operate in the flesh in that one moment. And I knew, I think why I was panicked is because I knew that there was no anointing flowing in that room. There was words, there was songs, there was music, but I didn't feel that anointing. But what the Lord started comfort, comforting me with is that that doesn't ruin the night. Just pull on your own anointing. So I share that story with you because we're going to get into talking about anointing. And when I was praying this week, the Lord gave me this phrase, anointing for living. How many of you guys have a life? You're alive. <laughs> I guess no one back there. Okay, everyone else is alive in the room. Uh, do you have a life? Yes. Do you have a calling for your life? 
Do you think that you need a very specific anointing for that specific calling on your life? Yes. Tonight, I want to introduce um, this concept. I'm going to do more preaching than teaching tonight. I want to introduce this concept that there's actually um, two main types of anointing found in Scripture. And that night that we had that worship event, I actually discovered I had both of them. I just needed to learn how to differentiate between the two. Scripturally speaking, the, the two main types of anointing, and these are my words, these aren't, you won't find this verse where it's like, where, what, what chapter and verse is that? Um, sometimes there aren't necessarily clean lines, like the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but we use that word all the time. You understand? Well, there's two types of anointings. The first one is the type of anointing that's upon you, and that's empowering anointing. It empowers you. The second type of anointing is abiding anointing. It abides within you. So you have an anointing that comes upon you, but you also have an anointing that abides within. And I want to talk about that abiding anointing first. The abiding anointing is within. Um, can we go to 1 John 2.27? 1 John 2.27. It says, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. Say, in me. The, abide, the abiding that you have received from him, the anointing you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has been taught, you abide in him. All believers receive anointing at salvation. They receive the Holy Spirit. He is the seal of the new covenant. The Holy Spirit secures and he guarantees your salvation. And when that Holy Spirit, when he is given to you at salvation, there's a measure of anointing that now abides in you. It's there. It's permanent. That word abiding, it means uh, continuing. It means lasting. It means dwelling. And so this abiding anointing, it's this internal dwelling. It affects your spirit. It does not affect you physically. It does not affect your emotions or your soul. It affects your spirit, man. And what I mean by that, when it affects your spirit, it, it actually impacts your character. It impacts your heart. And it impacts your spiritual life with the Lord. This is the abiding anointing that never leaves. And the purpose of this abiding anointing is to transform you into the image of the Lord, period. With the abiding anointing, it's to make you look like Jesus. It's given to bring revelation and transformation to your inner man. Most of us would consider that to be uh, spiritual development. This internal anointing affects your spirit, not your soul, and your body. You receive it at salvation. And the way to increase this anointing, this abiding anointing, is through time with him. Time is the cost for abiding anointing. And let me rephrase that. Time is the price for transformation. If you want to look like him, you cannot skip time with him. Spending time in, in the presence of the Lord, whether it's through the word, whether it's through um, singing, worship, whether it's through prayer, this increase of the abiding anointing only comes from being with him. And in other words, it's, it's the familiarity with the person of Jesus that increases this abiding. And this abiding anointing, it's available to everyone because it dwells in you when you get saved. Got it? Okay. Now I want to talk about the anointing that's upon you, the empowering anointing. It isn't in you, it's on you. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Verse 8, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The empowering anointing, it comes upon believers for the works of ministry. This is the doing anointing. The abiding is the being anointing. This is the doing anointing. Specifically, it's for service and ministering to others. It comes upon you, but it's not about you. It comes upon you for someone else. The abiding anointing comes through resting, dwelling, abiding, but this empowering anointing, it's for doing. It does not impact your spirit. It does not impact your character. What it impacts is your ministry. It impacts your doing. I told you at the beginning of tonight, all believers are in ministry. 
not just your pastor, not just the people on the stage. Some people's ministry is the church platform. Other people's ministry is driving a bus. Other people's ministry is being a doctor or a lawyer. The abiding anointing, that internal anointing, it comes from within because it's planted within us by the Holy Spirit and it's for us, it's for our growth, it's for our transformation. But the empowering anointing is for others. It's not for us, it's upon us, but it's about, it's not about us. It's actually about him. It's actually about him giving so that others benefit from the anointing that rests upon you. So I wanna spend a little bit of time and compare uh, these anointings and delineate them because to me this changed everything this changed so much and Again, I feel like I've I've known it in my spirit But I haven't had the the best words for it and I want to paint this picture for you guys So can we go back to Acts 1 8 that verse we just had back up there? This empowering anointing it comes from his the presence of the Lord It's being in the presence of the Lord and when you're done ministering it lifts when the doing is done, so is that anointing. It's an empowerment for a moment or a specific event. The abiding anointing, the anointing within, it never leaves. It's part of your sp spiritual DNA. It's, it's based on your history with the Lord and you'll never lose that. That, that abiding anointing, it, it gives you that revelation and that protection and when I say protection, the abiding anointing, that internal anointing actually protects you from deception. Can you go back, tech team, to 1 John 2.27, the first verse we looked at? It says, his anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true and is not a lie. The abiding anointing reveals truth to your spirit. There's no lie within it. In other words, the abiding anointing will never lead you into deception. It will protect you from it. It will lead you into truth because there's no lie within it. The abiding anointing keeps you in all truth. And the reason is because it's tied directly to the Holy Spirit. And one of the Holy Spirit's job is to lead you or to guide you into all truth. When you receive that Holy Spirit as salvation, that's one of his main jobs. to lead you into all truth. And this abiding anointing is inter intricately connected with him. And so he keeps you tied to the truth. So if you people are so scared of being, oh, I'm worried about deception, then just spend time with him. Spend time with him. And guess what? That abiding anointing, that history with the Lord that starts to cultivate and overflow, it will actually protect your mind, your heart, and your soul from deception. This is why the abiding anointing is so important. It, it protects the inner man from lies. There is not a lie within it. And it connects us to the truth. So... The anointing in us protects us from, the, from deception, but it's possible to be deceived if our only anointing is upon us, the empowering anointing. Let me explain. This is why so many people can minister in power and great authority and yet be completely deceived and have the worst theology in the world and all their doctrine be messed up and their character be terrible. The Bible says that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means he gives them and he never takes them back. That means he gives you gifts that he never takes back, even when you sin, even when you start walking in really jacked up theology. The empowering anointing is simply a gift from the Lord, and it's totally possible to be used by the Lord without knowing the Lord. You agree? The empowering anointing, it operates from power and authority, not truth. The abiding anointing abides in truth. There's no lie within it. Let's go to Matthew 7. I'm going to connect all these thoughts, I promise. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Very familiar passage. Jesus said, Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's completely possible to preach the Bible or to be under the anointing for ministry and yet not know the Lord. It's also possible to be under an anointing and totally miss his heart because this empowering anointing isn't connected to truth. It's connected to power and authority and power is not the same as character. Because this empowering anointing, it serves for a specific moment. It will come and then it will lift. 
Um, this is why people can minister in signs and wonders and miracles and move crowds of people and then go home and beat their wives and scream at their kids and have terrible, unchristlike behavior. It's because their empowering anointing is through the roof, but their abiding anointing is weak. Their character, their time with the Lord is lacking. We'll talk more about, later, about that later this summer. Um, You've probably heard me say this, but the things that we need in our spiritual life are given to us, but the things that we want, we have to pursue. The things we need will be given to us, but the things we want, we have to pursue. Every single Christian is given the abiding anointing at salvation. That's what connects us to the Lord. That's a need. It can increase, but that's given to us. But not every Christian is given the empowering anointing. And he reserves that anointing for those who are willing to take risk in ministering to others. Um, I'm going to talk in generalities. Uh, no one's allowed to make doctrine from this tonight. You're allowed to like, think about this and chew on this. But I feel like if, if you take these two extremes, you're going to run into some problems. I want to paint some generalities. Generally speaking, God is in charge of the abiding anointing in your life, that internal anointing in your life. He's the one who increases it, and it comes with that price of time with him. That's the cost of the abiding anointing. But the empowering anointing, to some extent, you're actually the one who's in charge of the depth of it. You're the one who, with your asking and seeking and knocking, can actually increase that empowering anointing. We say it like this, you can have as much of God as you want. You can have as much of the abiding anointing as you want by spending time with him. And you can have as much as the, uh, of the empowering anointing by being obedient to him and asking and seeking and knocking. I think you can have as much anointing as you want. It's just, do we want it? Um, what we've done at Kingdom Living, our ministry school, which all of you are going to sign up for this year. What we've done at Kingdom Living, um, we've put a heavy emphasis on both the abiding anointing and the empowering anointing. Um, We make lots of time for abiding in his presence, for lavishing him with worship, um, for focusing on the adoration of him. We make time for the transformation through encounter. And all of those things are related to the abiding anointing. But we also, one of our emphases is that we're a teach and do school. Do. That's the word that has to do with the empowering anointing. The empowering anointing puts a demand on the Lord in those ways. If we say this every single day, if God doesn't show up in what we're doing, it's going to be a miserable day. It will be a complete failure. We actually set ourselves up for failure where if God doesn't show up in those activations, in those teachings, in those worship moments, then we're going to fail. We give our students and our staff an opportunity every single day to put a demand on the empowering anointing. Are you okay? I need some feedback tonight. It's so hot up here, and I already see fireworks, and it's not even 4th of July. We put a demand on the empowering anointing every single day because our school, it's a ministry school. The huge part of what we're doing is we're training people for the work of ministry. That's the empowering anointing. Now, again, all believers are in ministry, so it's not just, oh, you're a school for pastors. No, we've had pastors, but we've also had soccer moms, college students, everyone in between. People say things like, oh, I'm open to the supernatural. We just never see it at my church. We never see anyone healed or delivered or any of that stuff. And that doesn't make them a lesser Christian, but it does mean that they're not operating in the available empowering anointing that they can have. Lack of the supernatural has nothing to do with abiding. Uh, It has nothing to do with how much you love the Lord. You can love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and not see any of the supernatural things. You may have a wonderful relationship with him and not see any of this stuff. Because unless you're trying to do the works of ministry, you will not see an increase of the empowering anointing. He doesn't just say like, oh, Gary doesn't care about seeing any people healed. So I'm just going to go ahead and give him this gift of healing anyways. Right? He, he looks for those who are hungry. He says ask. He says seek. He says knock. And that's why we tell our students the only way to fail is to not try. You can try 
not see the results. And it's not a failure because you're learning to put a demand on the anointing that he says come and get. So we've created environments where we want students to grow in their empowering anointing, whether that's um, evangelism, whether that's outreach or praying for the sick, prophetic stuff, the prophetic training that we're going to be walking into week three. We've had uh, people, leaders and staff from 14 different churches come to this thing. Um, This training is not about abiding anointing. It's about the empowering anointing, and we're giving people a place to test out this gift. That's when it puts a demand on the anointing. The abiding anointing, the internal anointing, uh, it's actually impacted by your hunger. Your hunger impacts the abiding anointing, but the empowering anointing can be impacted by others' hunger. Let me explain. Um, Jesus walked around everywhere. People were encountering the Lord wherever he went. They would get healed. They'd get transformed. Their demons would come out. They would get saved. Every, he did innumerable miracles. And then he goes to his hometown, and it says he couldn't do anything except heal a few sick people. And the reason was, it was because the people around him had doubt. They had a lack of hunger, and it actually had some, I don't understand how it works, but it had some impact on Jesus' empowering anointing flowing freely. The Son of God. I guess the lesson is don't doubt. (laughs) There you go. End of church. Go home. Just don't doubt. Doubt your doubts, believe your beliefs, the end. Um, Something else that's a little bit different between the abiding and the empowering anointing is that you can actually feel the empowering anointing. Remember, the abiding anointing is for your spirit. It's just your inner man. But the empowering anointing, it's more for the physical, your your mind, your body, your soul, your emotions. Um, The um, abiding anointing is for your spirit. And because that never lifts, we don't really know what it feels like not to have that anointing with us. It's just always there. But with the empowering anointing, it doesn't abide. It comes and then it lifts. And so when it comes, you can actually train your spiritual senses. It's called the gift of discernment. You can actually train your spiritual senses to discern, oh, I feel him here. I feel that he's doing something or, oh, that moment's over. So you can actually know when it comes. This is why so many people get overwhelmed when they encounter highly anointed men and women of God. Think about David from the Bible, not David Brohan, but think about David Brohan, right? (laughs) David in scripture. Um, He actually, his presence in the room actually caused evil spirits to leave King Saul when he started playing music. Listen, it wasn't David's talent that drove the demons away. It was his anointing. Think about Paul's handkerchief, Peter's shadow. Those things are simply an overflow from their intimacy with the Lord. Think about people from um, church history. Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, probably the two greatest evangelists in history. Uh, Incredible exploits. Literally millions, millions of people saved. Have you ever listened to either Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke? It's not very profound. In fact, I would say it's, it's a little bit basic. And yet when they would give these somewhat basic foundational messages, literally thousands would run to the front of the room saying, what must I do to be saved? I have to give my heart to the Lord. I have to have this thing. That's because of the anointing on their life. William Branham, one of my favorites, the abiding anointing on Branham's life. The abiding anointing is why multiple times when he would be preaching, a halo would appear over his head. They have photographs of it. Literally, a halo would just appear. Or um, he would just be preaching in a cloud. A cloud of glory would enter the room or it would just surround him and swirl around him. It was his empowering anointing, though, why people would paralyzed people, people with uh, limbs that don't work, people with missing limbs would get up out of their wheelchairs or off their stretchers. People paralyzed their whole lives would receive their ability to walk back, walk again. That's his empowering anointing. Catherine Kuhlman, just dozens of times when people would report seeing her face shining as she spoke. You can read it, read about it, how her face would glow, like Moses. People are like, that's not biblical. Read your Bible, it's in there. When the Lord became real to her, everything changed in the audience. And her anointing, 
her anointing actually brought people into the reality that she lived in. Her anointing brought others into her own reality. This is what the anointing does. She could walk on stage and just stand there and people would give their hearts to the Lord. They would encounter him. People would start weeping with her just standing there because her anointing shifted the atmosphere in the room. People would encounter her anointing without her saying a word, whether it was on stage or walking through hotels, and they would fall on their knees and start screaming, how do I give my heart to Jesus? Tell me how I do this, just because they encountered her anointing. Other times, believers who already were saved would, would come to her and say, I need to know this Jesus the way you do, because it, it sure doesn't look like that when I'm with him. Why was there that response? It's because depth of intimacy creates unity. The closer you get with him, you will be more and more united with him. And so when Kuhlman walked in the room, eventually, guess what? Jesus walked in the room too. And her vessel became his vessel. And his glory became her glory. And I'm telling you, all of that's available to us. It's in the book. It's for us. Now think about what would happen if any of these people, whether it's Bonky or Kuhlman or Oral Roberts, any of these amazing men and women of God, what would happen if they had no real anointing on their life when they walked onto that platform? The people sitting there might have been greatly entertained. They might have heard a good sermon. They might even see signs and wonders, but those things don't change us. Those things, I think, are fruit. I think all those things are actually signs of health, but those don't actually change us. It's the reality of the Lord Jesus that changes us. Same with Jesus, same with Paul, same with Peter. The reality of God in their lives combined with the power of God on their lives actually transformed the atmosphere around them. We can't afford to do ministry without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and it comes through anointing. Perfect sermons without the anointing will make you famous with man, but not with God. The most talented worship leaders who aren't anointed to lead worship, in essence, are just singing karaoke. There's no power in that. So, let me read you, I, I don't have a slide for this, but Paul actually talks about this empowering anointing in 2 Timothy 1.6. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. In other words, you stir this thing up. It's up to you sometimes. Sometimes you have to stir up the empowering anointing. And it's up to you to put a pull on that inner intimacy and that anointing, your history with him, until the external starts to get stirred up as well. This is something that I've asked the Lord to help me become more and more aware of with this empowering anointing, knowing when it's falling, when it's lifting, and trying to develop a discernment for when he's doing it, what he's doing, who he's doing it with. And... Um, I'll just be real with you. I told you that story at the beginning about that worship night, but I used to get really um, fearful and start to have like many like low-level pangs of panic uh, when I would be getting ready to speak at church or speak at Kingdom Living or do a conference, and I couldn't feel the Lord. I love to feel him. And just like that story about the, the worship leader and the Lord saying, like, don't worry about his anointing. You just pull on your anointing. Um, let me put it this way. How many of you know that God doesn't owe it to us to bless our agendas? We get to partner with his agendas. And that night at that worship event, I actually had to learn how to pull on my intimacy, birth from that abiding anointing, time and history with the Lord, that and actually allow it to draw out and stir up my empowering anointing. And you know what happened that night? In my opinion, my humble opinion, that was actually the best night of that conference in that school that we did. I just felt like the glory of the Lord just emanated. Like so many people said that was so powerful that it just changed their lives. And I learned like, okay, sometimes I'm going to actually have to learn how to stir that empowering anointing up, fan it into flames. So I want to switch gears and I want to go to a, a passage we've looked at several times over the past, I don't know, six months. Let's go to Isaiah 9, 9, 6 through 7. 
For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish, accomplish this. Do you think that this passage is only true for those who have titles in ministry? Do you think that his government and his peace will increase for soccer moms or just for pastors? Do you think that him upholding his justice and his righteousness is just for ministry leaders or is it also for college students? See, what we do is we take verses like this and we try to apply this to Sundays at church or Mondays through Thursday at Kingdom Living. And you know what? You can apply this to, quote, ministry times, but this is actually a, a gift to someone's kids. You're the kids that the, your father has given these gifts to. Who God says you are, that's an external truth. Who you think you are, that's actually an internal issue. And I want to address that. Generally speaking, we know, uh, Romans tells us, that all of us have a call on our lives to be transformed into the image of his son. That's a calling on your life. Um, broadly speaking, you have a call on your life as a Christian to look like Jesus. Agree? Everyone has a call on their life to seek first his righteousness or seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Everyone has a call on their life to make earth look like heaven. Everyone has a call on their life to make disciples of all nations. Generally speaking, we're okay with some of that stuff. But what I want to talk about is that culture has become addicted to bigness. Bigness. And we think that bigger is better. And this bigness mentality has actually invaded the church. And many believers set it as a goal to be these super saints and to have the titles, and so many pastors just want a mega church. And listen, I, there's no, nothing wrong with mega churches. There's nothing wrong with tiny churches. But too often, what we'll do is we'll create cultures where small things or unspectacular things get pushed aside and ignored. And this week, I was just talking with the Lord, and he started speaking to me about that. He's, he was saying, you know what? Some people are called to be the next Smith Wigglesworths and John G. Lakes and William Branham's and Oral Roberts. But unless we start talking about the other side, we're, we're, we're gonna create cultures that only celebrate big things. And he's not always a God of big things. In fact, he'll often use the foolish things to shame the wise. And in his kingdom, bigger isn't better. Obedience is better. And too many believers think this thought that unless they lead thousands to the Lord, um, you know, heal and transform every lost person that they meet outside at Kahala Mall, uh, hold a microphone on every stage, increase their influence, or build something, then they don't have any value. But here's a question. What if God isn't asking you to build something? What if God isn't asking you to stand on a stage? What if God isn't asking you to have influence over man? What if he isn't asking you to lead something? What if he's asking you to build his kingdom instead of your own? I run a ministry school. I get to tell this to students all the time. We tell them this every year. The environment that they are sitting there encountering the Lord in on a daily basis, it's not replicable. Once you leave school, that's it. You don't go home to school. It's not the same environment. What we do there, um, let me put it this way, very few are called to be very few are called to run ministry schools. Very few are called to be pastors and senior leaders. Very few people are called to be itinerant ministers. Most people are called to have nine to five jobs, to go to school, to have kids, to have families, to get married. That's why we call it kingdom living. There has to be a, a side of the kingdom where we just live in those things and not just come for these strike missions to church or to a ministry school. Honestly, glory clouds swirling around you don't really help you very much when, when you just need to write a term paper or wipe your kid's butt. Like that, a glory cloud's great, but if that doesn't actually aid in the call on your life, then why are we fighting for it? 
those things can't be the goal. And listen, I want a glory cloud every week. I want, I want to see the stuff, man. I've seen it before. Why not now? Um, but my point is that unless we start hearing what God says about our life, we're going to walk in confusion. We're going to have so much loss. And there's going to be so much unfulfillment because we think that we're supposed to be big and famous and have influence and 20 million followers on Instagram. It, that's so vain. It's so vain. People get mad at God for not supplying provision for their plans. God doesn't have grace for you to follow someone else's calling. And when we ask for a grace or if we ask for an anointing that someone else has and it doesn't actually serve the call on our lives, sometimes they'll give it to us. And guess what? It actually works against what we're supposed to be doing. And so listen up young Christians in the room. I don't know why this is so popular. It's so hip right now, but everyone, everyone is telling young Christians that they're supposed to be entrepreneurs and leaders. Guess what? Some people are called to be entrepreneurs and leaders, but I would say the vast majority of Christians are not. A lot of Christians are actually insulted at the idea of being a follower. We don't want to follow others. We want followers on my Instagram page, right? But listen to me, the greatest thing that you can do in life is to become an excellent follower of Jesus. In fact, so many of the leaders that we look up to, whether biblically or church history or just that we know, um, we forget that the greatest leaders are actually the greatest followers. They are only in those positions because they were so good at following Jesus. If God is not asking you to be a leader, don't try to be a leader. Don't go to leadership schools. Don't try to wear Saul's armor. The kingdom is not a ladder. It's a relationship. And too many of us treat the kingdom like a business that we start as a janitor and we work our way up to the senior pastor someday, the super apostle, this evangelist who's going to save Africa. The truth, I only said that because of Reinhard Bonnke. Man, go look up Reinhard Bonnke crusades. Like literally like 4 million people would show up to like single events. It's an ocean of people. It's insane. And that's attractive to our flesh. But you know what? That would probably kill a lot of us because of the pressure, um, the lack of the call on our lives to do that. We can try to make that happen. But the truth is that the call of the Lord on your life is your highest calling. Don't try to be Reinhard Bonnke. Some people are called to be pastors and prophets and ministry leaders, but more people are called to be moms and dads and armor bearers and supporters and Nathans and Barnabases. We're actually deceived by titles and we're deceived by the thought of influence. We're often willing to exchange God's plan for our life for a title and that, that doesn't work out great. I'm going to do something I almost never do on Sundays. I'm going to show you guys a video. This is not church at the movies, I promise. Um, but before I show you this video, I want to tell you why I'm showing you this video. Um, years ago, I had a talk with somebody who I love dearly. And we were just talking about life, and he's older than I am, and he was telling me about you know his journey with the Lord and all the things that he's gotten to do and not do. And we were just talking about heavenly rewards and how the Lord actually rewards us based on what we do with our talents and our minas, right? How we steward the things that he's given to us. And this, I consider him a great man of God, one of the greatest men of God I ever know. He, he looked at me and he said, Sam, what reward am I going to get? What have I ever done that's noteworthy? Um, and he said, you've spoken on stages. You've played worship in front of lots and lots of people. You've spoken all over the place. You get to talk to people all the time. You've influenced all these people, which made me laugh because it hasn't been that many people. But his thought was like, I haven't done any of that stuff. What kind of reward do, am I even going to get a reward? And I, I asked this amazing man of God, I said, well, what do you feel like God asked you to do in this lifetime. He said, honestly, I think God just wanted me to be a good dad. I said, were you? He said, absolutely. I said, then you're going to get the greatest reward. Can we show this video? I, wanna, I want you guys to process this with me. Question. What are you called to do? 
ask that question because we won't be judged according to what we did in life, but rather what we were called to do in life. Imagine with me standing before the throne of God and a scenario like this occurred. Evangelist Anderson, come forth and give an account of your stewardship on earth. E evangelist Anderson, I, I'm not an evangelist. I, I, I'm an accountant. I, 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 I had an accounting firm. I had an evangelist Anderson. Where are the 347,566 souls I called you to impact in Asia, son? Where are they? I'm an, I'm an accountant. I, I had an accounting firm. I, I, I help churches. I help ministries with their, their, their finances. Son, where are the 347,566 souls in Asia I called you to impact? Son, where are they? Had you sought me, had you sought my face, I would have revealed this to you. Accountant Jones, step forward and give an account of your stewardship. Uh, Accountant Jones? No, no, I, I pastored for 35 years. I, I, I had a, a membership of 750 people. Accountant Jones, I called you to the marketplace. Had you done this, you would have significantly impacted two people. You and those two men would have helped churches with their finances, and those churches would have impacted 751,321 souls. If you would have sought me, I, I would have revealed this to you. Sister Smith, come forth and give an account of your stewardship. I only raised three children. I, I never preached to, to nations. I, I never even been on a, a missionary trip. I, I only tried my hardest to raise my children in your way. Sister Smith, I never called you nations. I never called you to go to other countries on missionary trips. I called you to raise three children. And let me show you the 1,579,541 souls those three children impacted. judged according to what you did, you will be judged according to what you were called to do. Isn't that good? You know, if you're called to be a mom, a stay-at-home mom of two little kids, you actually require an empowering anointing to do that. Let me explain. Um, for many years of my life, I was a speech-language pathologist, and it actually took an empowering anointing for me to have a grace to do that in my life. And when that anointing lifted, guess what? I knew really quickly that I wasn't supposed to do that anymore. And then the Lord said, well, you're going to go into full-time ministry. And when I stepped into it, I literally could feel that empowering anointing actually giving me strength to do the thing that he was asking me to do. Um, 
a lot of you guys remember our dear friend of the house, Christian. Um, he just moved to Texas to go to medical school. Christian, I feel like, had a breaker anointing. Because anytime worship would happen, I don't care if it was the most dead environment, if the musicians were terrible, if the Holy Spirit was taking a nap, like Christian would wake him up. Christian actually had an anointing. It was an empowering anointing to break open the heavens during worship. And Christian wasn't a, a singing worshiper. He would just, he would jump and he could actually like stir a room based on the anointing that the Lord had on his life. I think Lily has that same anointing on her life. Um, and others have different anointings. And I just want to tell you, you can't be ashamed of what anointing the Lord has on your life. There's actually people waiting for you to step into that empowering anointing because they need it in their life. You know, I've been in environments when Christian was late to worship, and worship sucked before he got there. But then after he got there, it was like, man, this was the greatest night of worship ever, right? In other words, you can actually stir the room and move the room based on the anointing that he's given to you. Um, and people get so hung up on this idea. Uh, Julia, can you come up here? People say, I need to have influence. I need to impact the world. And listen, if your call is to impact the world, then yes, you absolutely do need to do that. But if your call is to be uh, a, a soccer coach for little kids, you don't need the anointing to lead governors and presidents. Because how many of us have either been given or gave that prophetic word you know, like, oh, you're going to uh, influence governors and cities and nations. That's great if that's your calling. But if it's not your calling, do not pursue that thing. Um, I want to have Julia share a, a short story about something that happened in her past where uh, she was not in a, quote, ministry setting, but she operated from an empowering anointing to do something that she was actually called and anointed to do. Yes. <laughs> there was one time when I was babysitting um, for like a beloved family. I love them so much. And um, they're, they were in need of like serious, serious breakthrough. They were having a lot of issues in their, their family and their home. Um, and I was upstairs at a two-story house and um, I was putting their baby to sleep for a nap in the morning. Um, and as I was sitting on the bed trying to lay the baby down, um, I saw a black figure go from the little girl's room that was having a lot of issues um, into the older girl's room. Um, and I kind of, in, in that moment, I was like, mm, no, like I didn't see anything. I wouldn't categorize myself as a seer, like trying to brush it off. And I really felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit kind of whisper to me and tell me, um, like, don't write that off. That's exactly what you think you saw. Um, and so I laid the baby down, um, and I kind of, like, walked downstairs, still kind of in my head, um, and had to, like, gather my thoughts and kind of process and really try not to brush it off and try to do dishes and ignore it. Um, texted some people, <laughs> um, and um, the baby, like, immediately woke up, like, big shocker, you know? Didn't like super abnormal, didn't have more than like five minutes of a nap. So I had to go back upstairs and immediately when I passed by um, where I felt like I saw the demon, um, I had chills go up my spine, the room felt icy cold, and um, I was like, okay, <laughs> like this is, this is what, like the Lord's asking me to rebuke this, get it out of the house, that's why I saw it. Um, and I also felt like the devil kind of revealing himself as threatened by me, you know, because I go into their house, play worship music, pray with their babies, talk to their kids about Jesus, um, trying to plant every seed that I can, and I, I just feel like he felt threatened by that. And so kind of like as a last-ditch effort to scare me or make me nervous, um, you know, gave me a little glimpse of something like a demon that looked scary. Um, and so I went to grab the baby, and I walked through the house and uh, just rebuked it, told it to leave, and asked the Holy Spirit to invade every corner of the little girl's rooms, um, walked around upstairs, and um, did that until I felt like the chills left, until the room felt at a normal temperature. And um, I also spoke in tongues when I felt like I had nothing left to say. Um, and what I noticed with the baby was, when I started to speak in tongues, the baby like stopped crying, 
like the baby's spirit was at attention, wide eyes staring at me. Um, and I felt like to walk around with the baby because uh, almost like in your face <laughs> to the devil, like I'm so secure in my protection and covering of the Lord um, that I'd even bring a baby and walk around, you know? Um, and so all that to say, like, I guess the reason why Sam asked me to share would be because um, like walking in your anointing, um, also not writing it off and ignoring it because um, we have a choice and I could have done that. Um, and then also just um, like it's when I was babysitting, like that's not what I was expecting. That's not even what I really wanted to happen um, was to see a demon in their house. But um, the they came home and it was like the house was filled with joy. They had like the best day. They were so appreciative of the time that they had outside of the house, the mom and the other kids. Um, yeah, so praise to Jesus. The demon left and um, there was a lot of breakthrough after that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Which is more important, Julia doing that and impacting that household and that little kid's life or me coming on stage and preaching a message. They're both, exactly, because we're both walking in what the Lord's asking us to do. This is an anointing thing. And, all right, we need to end. You guys have been so slow tonight listening to me. Speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. Uh, this is what we're going to do to end. Uh, again, all believers are called into ministry, whether that's a church slash full-time vocational ministry setting or not. And I felt like the Lord say, obvious, this is very obvious, but there's two groups of people in the room tonight. Those who are called to public vocational ministry and those who are not called into public vocational ministry. And both of those two groups, the Lord has something very unique and special that he wants to give you tonight. Um, so let me ask you this. Who here feels a call to public vocational ministry in their lives? If that's you, I want you to stand up. I'm going to talk to you guys for just a minute. And if you suddenly get a call from the Lord asking you to join vocational ministry, stand up while I'm talking. Uh, I've been aching lately, and I've had this conversation with quite a few people, uh, the Lord included. Or, you know, every generation has these giants, these generals of the faith. Every generation. There's never been a time when these people haven't existed. But I do feel like there's... Uh, a changing of the guard in a lot of uh, circles. And I've just been asking the Lord, I've been asking friends, who is the next Billy Graham? Who is the next Smith Wigglesworth? Who's the next John G. Lake and Catherine Kuhlman and Bob Jones and Bobby Connor? Where are they? Who are they? And one of the things that I felt like the Lord said was that some will come from Reunion. Reunion is a house that will raise these people up. Some of the next Wigglesworths and Branhams are gonna be birthed out of Reunion. And I absolutely trust him and believe him with that. And my, my only response is, do it again, God. So we're gonna actually pray and bless you all who are standing, who feel like you have a, a call from the Lord to, to have a, a either a job as a minister or in ministry, that, that you feel like the Lord wants you to do that as your profession. We're going to commission you and call you because I feel like there are people who are standing right now who are going to impact the nations, who are going to change the world, who will see, help see this, this island and this state and this nation transformed and delivered in our lifetime. This isn't fun and games. This is anointing we're talking about. So if you're around these people, can you either stretch your hand out or lay some hands on them? We're going to stir these things up, fan it into flame. And you guys can just agree with me in prayer. You can pray over me, whatever you want to do, but I, the, Lord, the Lord will hear it all. Um, Father, we pray for an increase of outpouring on these people in the room who are called to vocational ministry, who are called to do your work, whether it's from a platform or through ministries or churches. Uh, would you increase the abiding anointing in their lives for them? And would you increase the empowering anointing in their lives for others? 
Yeah, let their lives be marked with signs and wonders and miracles and salvations. Let their lives be marked with doves and halos and clouds. Let favor fall upon them, open doors for them. Yeah, we as a, a, a family refuse to kick doors open. We will walk through the doors that you open and we will trust you with the doors that you close. Would you let mantles just descend on these people? Mantles for ministry, mantles to pastor people, to shepherd people, to love people, to prophesy over people, to teach people, to send people, to commission people. And so that's exactly what we do. We commission you to step into these anointings, these callings on your life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now I want to talk to the other group. I want to talk to the people who don't feel like you're called to I'll just use air quotes, professional ministry. Your ministry is the house. Your ministry is your job. Your ministry is your school. In other words, you're not after being a pastor or a prophet or a ministry leader. But I felt specifically that the Lord wanted to speak specifically to people who say things like, who am I? I don't do anything that's important. What do I need to get equipped for? What, what kind of ministry do I even do? I just go about my life. Uh, he needs you to understand that it's impossible for a son and a daughter to be unknown, to be unappreciated, to be forgotten in the eyes of God. There is no, or there are no little old me's in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Moms and dads, Students, bus drivers, doctors, they're as important as Billy Graham's. He actually needs you. He's called you to do those things. Uh, radio DJs are as important as traveling evangelists. Like this isn't, this isn't the ladder of the kingdom. It's the relationship of the kingdom. And you're not going to be judged by what you do. You're going to be judged by your calling and what you do with your calling. I feel like he's actually going to release a grace for you to let go of the calling on other people's lives and for the desire in your heart to have anointings that are actually aren't for you. You've just seen them and they're attractive to your flesh. He's going to release you from that. And he gives grace when we're faithful, faithful, full of faith. And the Bible says that it's actually impossible to please him without faith. You're not called to imitate people. You're not called to copy people. You're not called to pretend to be someone else. He will shout the call on your life if you'll just turn your ear to him. And I feel like he's going to do that for people in the room. Um, some of you in this room actually do know the call on your life. You just need to own it. Um, I'm just going to say one word, and you can do whatever you want with this. Jonah. Okay? Go read Jonah. <laughs> Go ask the Lord. Go ask the Lord what he wants you to do with your life. Um, so if, if you feel like you're in one of these, uh, and I know this is a little confusing, if you feel like you have no idea what the call on your life is, or if you do feel like you, you know, generally speaking, what the call of the Lord is on your life, but you just need to own it, I want you to stand up now. And we're going to bless and impart these guys. So stretch your hands out, gather around these guys. Uh, these are not the lesser Christians in the room. These are actually the brave Christians in the room, because how many of you know this is a harder one to stand for? It, and you know what? When, when you ask the Lord for things, he doesn't give you snakes and scorpions. He gives you the bread that you're asking for. He gives you good gifts. And I feel like this is a moment when you're going to get to ask the Lord for something, and he only gives good things. The calling on your life is so good. It's so good. It's to bless you and to prosper you. It's to not leave you or forsake you. So Father, we bless those who are standing right now. Uh, the things that you have spoken to us, we speak over them. Vision, destiny, calling, hope, a bright future. You have that for all of these people. Would you soften hearts today to only hear your voice, to not look at others, to not play the comparison game, to not judge their calling based on someone else's calling, but literally just to hear your voice. Be the only voice that those who are standing here right now. Even now, in this room, on this night, July 3rd, 2022, let people go home and say, hey, when we prayed, the Lord actually told me what I was going to do for the rest of my life. 
And if you don't get that tonight, go home and Lord, give it to them in their dreams. Encounter them, speak to them, guide them. Holy Spirit, you are the guide. You are the counselor. You are the comforter. So we speak those things, guidance, counsel, comfort over your life as you're seeking these things out and processing them with the Lord. And I break off lies that you uh, are broken. I break off lies that it's your fault that you haven't figured this out yet. He is so gentle. His yoke is so light. His burden is so easy. And so we speak those things, the lightness of the Lord, the ease of the Lord over your life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Guys, we're going to officially dismiss. Uh, last thing I want to do is this. Can everyone just sit really quick? This is actually the most important part of the evening. Uh, we'll dismiss in three minutes or less. Um, there's people in this room, I have a feeling, that uh, maybe don't even know the Lord. And you're just wondering, what are these people talking about? Who is this Jesus? And how do I get a hold of him? Because I like how it sounds. Um, can I just get everyone to close your eyes? And I want to pray over everybody. And I'm going to give an invitation for those who actually haven't ever made Jesus the, the Lord of their life or the Savior of their life. Um, I'm also going to invite those who are Christians who feel like, you know what, I actually need to step up. I need to recommit my entire life, my entire being to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So if you feel like you have never been... Um, in a position where you've given your life to Jesus or you want to recommit to Jesus, no one's looking around. Can you raise your hand? I want to see it. Keep it up just for a minute. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up. Keep it up. Good. Put it back down when you're done. Keep your eyes closed. Uh, I just want to honor those who are so brave, so brave. Thank you for raising your hand. There's quite a few. Um, I'll, I'm going to lead you. If you've never been a Christian, I want everyone to repeat after me. We're all going to pray this prayer together. Uh, but I want us to say it out loud. Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I want us to join in, even as a family, in supporting those. Because when people give their hearts to the Lord, the, uh, all of heaven actually celebrates. The angels, the hosts, the king, they all join in. So would you repeat after me? Father... I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. But through your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins, you've restored me. You've bought me with your blood. You've purchased me for eternity. I'm now a living, breathing son and daughter of the king. You've restored me to righteousness I'm no longer a sinner. I choose to be who you say I am. I'm a saint. I'm pure. I'm redeemed. I submit my life to you. I submit my heart and soul to you. Jesus, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Amen. If you said that prayer, welcome to the family. Um, we're going to move into, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Um, can I get maybe Milton and Shane and Pablo, if you're in here, can you guys maybe come over to this little area? Um, if you were one of those people who raised your hand, whether to get saved for the first time or to recommit your heart with the Lord, I just want you to come connect with either Milton or Pablo or Shane. They're going to just speak some truth and some life into you. We're also going to open the front uh, to ministry. If you just want to have some time alone with the Lord, come up here. We're not going to have the prayer team minister tonight. We just feel like the Lord is really good at his job and you can just encounter him on your own. So thank you guys. Have a happy 4th of July and we'll see you guys next week. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.